Welcome to the Redemption Channel. My name is Matthew, and we're in a series called Keep It Simple. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Again, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Stephen. I'm uh, the pastor here, and uh, it's good to have you uh, this morning. You're joining us in a series called Keep It Simple. Keep It Simple. And what we're doing is uh, walking uh, through some practices uh, that have been a part of the Christian faith, uh, many of them for, for, uh, since its inception. And we're seeing how we can apply these simple practices into our lives to help us be close to Jesus and together as a church family. And so the first three weeks, we talked about reading scripture and prayer and communion. And all of this comes out of an understanding of the gospel, See, as Christians, we don't just do so that we might earn God's favor. Uh, we do because of what God has already done for us. He loved us. He sent his son. His son loved us. He gave us his life. Uh, Tim Keller says this. He says, this is, he's a famous author and uh, Christian speaker. And he says, this is the gospel, that you and I are, are more deeply flawed and sinful uh, than we dare hope or dare believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we dare hope. In other words, we're messed up, but God loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And he accepts us and embraces us in Christ. And when we receive that grace of God upon our lives, it then prompts action, not out of obligation. Christians, we are not to do things out of obligation. We do things out of response of God's love, like those practices, because we want to be close to him, because we want to know him, not so we can just check a box. And then we engage in the church family. This is a part of it right here, our Sunday morning gathering. And uh, the second half here of our series is about getting connected. That's why I'm wearing the, the bright T-shirts, and uh, you'll see them all over the place, because we want to help grow our church, grow together as a church family. And so last week, we kind of kicked off uh, with the, the commandment that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, a new command I give to you. He says this in John chapter 13, love one another. In other words, he takes... The, the old covenant law, he says, let me try to help you guys understand it here. Two things. One, love me, follow me, obey my commandments, and love one another. So last week we talked about letting love, we talked about letting love be genuine, not fake. Doesn't do us any good to pretend like we like each other. Doesn't do us any good to put on a fake face and to say, hey, how you doing? Right? And that's not that that's bad and we can't be cordial and nice when we walk in. Um, but genuine love demands action. Christ's love for us was genuine because it cost him his life. Our love to each other in the church family should be genuine. How do we do that? Well, we run from that which is destructive to the church family, and we cling or hold on to that which is good. Right? We run from things like gossip and slander and speaking poorly about each other, and we cling to that which is good, sacrificing and serving and giving towards each other and connecting with each other. So this morning, we're going to talk about the first of our practices uh, that help us. These are simple practices, but we want to see the deep meaning in them. We probably all have somebody in life that we look back and think, I failed that person. Like, I, I failed them. Uh, there's one person in particular in my life uh, that I look back and I see a, a difficult season that they went through. And I look and I think, I failed that person. I was not who I should have been to them during that difficult season. And now, fortunately, um, that relationship has continued, and I get to continue to have a, a friendship with this person. Um, but always in the back of my mind, I think about the rough patch that they went through and thought, I wasn't there for them the way that I should have been. 
And uh, many of us probably can point that person. And then we also probably have the flip side where we might have a list of people that we think, man, they failed me. I went through this season and where did they go? We're going to look at a passage today that talks about what the church is supposed to be. Now, when we talk about what the church is supposed to be, we also have to acknowledge what reality is. And so even as we talk about loving one another and letting that love be real, we do so with a couple of things in mind. One, we know that mistakes are going to be made. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. Some of those mistakes are simply mistakes. Some of them are sin, right? Those two things can be different. And um, it's going to happen. But the best thing, or one of, maybe not the best thing, uh, one thing about being a Christian is whenever somebody wrongs us, it gives us a chance to act like Jesus and to let love cover over that offense. And so even as we talk about letting love be genuine, we do so acknowledging we're not going to be perfect and mistakes are going to happen. Uh, we also acknowledge that creating a loving environment in our church is not a one-person job. It's not just my job to make sure that everybody out there feels adequately loved, that our church being a place uh, uh, that loves one another as Christ instructed is a team effort, and it will take each and every one of us in order to accomplish it. We can't all, or I can't, or Lindsay and I can't, or even our elders and I, we can't love everybody adequately. The church was never supposed to be that way. It's unrealistic and it's unbiblical. The church was to be a body of people who showed that to each other. So this is a team effort. And the last thing we acknowledge is this. We're all gonna engage in this in different levels because we're in different seasons of life because we have different things going on, all right? Because right now, it is just a major win if you get all the kids in the car and you get there on Sunday. And we understand. And so we are gonna engage in this in a different level. All of us will. But we also acknowledge this. Um, that perhaps we're at the level of engagement that we're at, not because of season of life, but because of spiritual stagnation. And perhaps the Holy Spirit might push you to take a step. And you might say, well, it's uncomfortable. God wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable. Well, you haven't read the Bible then, right? That he might want to be pushing you into something new, to engage in a new level. So we acknowledge that, but now let's look at what Paul says and maybe it's just the dream state, but he says it this way. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Just two quick lines that I want to teach through this morning. The first word here in our English is love. Now, this is not the same word love that we used last week when he said, let your love be genuine. It was a different Greek word. That word love was agape, which we said it means to have an emotion so strong that it demands action. As in God loved us, so he sent his son. As in as the son loved us, so he gave his life. And now our love one to another should demand action. That's why it's not being fake, because I don't just say, hey, I'll do this, and then I don't. I actually do it. The word love here is philostergos, and what it is is a combination of two different words, one that means more friendship or the commitment of a group of friends, so if you know like a, like a group, of, like a band of brothers type of group of friends that just, hey man, you've watched them grow up and maybe now they're in college or, uh, or they're in their adulthood or you have that same group of friends you've had, that kind of fierce commitment, lifelong friends, that's the, the first part of the word. And, but the second part of the word is familial. And so even right at the beginning, what we see here is uh, this mix between the family and friendship. Now, it's been said, I don't know who said it initially, uh, that uh, friends are just family that you choose, right? 
And so we have friendship and this kind of enjoyment idea of friendship. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, all friendship begins with um, an acknowledgement of, oh, you too? Not the band, as in, uh, like, you too, you like this too? Well, in the church, we all have a you too. What is it? Jesus. Oh, you too? You love him too? You worship him too? You've surrendered your life to Jesus too? Ah, so there's the commencement of our friendship. But the familial side teaches us the commitment. Because what do we always say uh, about family? Well, they're blood. They're blood. And so I'm committed to them uh, regardless of fill in the blank. I'm committed. Why? Well, there's a blood relationship there. Well, what are we to see in the New Covenant church? That we too are committed to each other through blood. That's why we take communion. We're reminded of the blood of Christ that unites us. And so familially, in the church, we have the family commitments through the blood of Christ. We're connected through the blood, but we have the, um, the friendship side of being able to look at each other and say, oh, you too. You love him too. And so what we see or, or what we are supposed to see within the body of the church is this connection of family and friendship. Then it gets into uh, this next line. He says, love one another How? with brotherly affection, with brotherly affection. Now we get into that word that we all know, Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. And uh, what this word does is it really just connects the idea. Again, it's, it's really not too much different than the first word, um, and it's showing the idea of loving somebody like a sibling. Now, I always have claimed that I am the perfect middle child. And what I mean by that is not that I'm perfect. It means that I have an older brother and an older sister and a younger brother and a younger sister. So I understand all of the sibling relationships, right? I've been the older brother to a younger sister, a younger brother, and the younger brother to a younger sister and a younger brother. I get them all, right? Now, um, when I think of what it means to, to know your uh, church family like a sibling, well, how do we know our siblings, Pretty well, if, especially as you're growing up. Now, you might say, well, I don't know their deepest secrets. I don't know their heart. No, but you know when they walk around the house not dressed the way they should be, right? You know their little dirty habits of where, uh, you know, how they don't clean their room or, or whatever else it might be. Uh, and, so, and you also know all of the things that they do that drive you crazy. What is Paul saying here then? that we're to know each other like siblings and love each other because of that. Maybe you've experienced the opposite in the church or anywhere, that the more you were known, the less you were loved. And the more you were unknown, the more you were celebrated. As long as you appeared okay, as long as you kept up the shine, then you were loved. But the moment it fell and you were seen for who you really were, then you weren't loved. The church is to be the opposite. The family of Christ is to be the more you are known, the deeper you are loved. To love each other like siblings. Now in that, let's try to understand it a little better. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. I'm going to speak a little bit this morning from my uh, personal siblings' experiences because I think it helps me understand this. I have at least one sibling out in the audience right now who's probably very worried, and that's okay. You should be. Now, uh, the first uh, thing when I think of loving each other with brotherly affection, and we see this throughout Scripture, we're actually instructed to do this, 
Um, I'll start with my younger brother. Uh, my younger brother is uh, six years younger than I, and when he was a junior in high school, um, like most of my family, sports was a major part of our high school lives. And I remember his first game of his junior year, our family was going through kind of a difficult season, and he tore his ACL in the first quarter of the first game. Now, for some of you, that didn't seem like a big deal. And in that moment, that was like the world crashing. I remember going home that night, and I sobbed, and I yelled at God. I was so angry for what had, been, what had happened to him and what I felt like had been taken from him, particularly in this season. Now, I've seen how God has redeemed that, but in the moment, I hated it. What was I doing? I was mourning. I was mourning. I, I honestly, to this day, I'm not sure I've cried like that. I, I mourned for him. What does it mean for us here to love one another with brotherly affection? It means to be connected in such a way that we mourn with each other. Now, it doesn't mean that each and every one of us is going to know the deep parts of our lives that make us mourn, but somebody should. We should be able to mourn with one another. What does this do then? It creates an environment of empathy, of sympathy. It creates a community that says, it's okay when life falls apart, I'm here. And I cry with you when I need to. I ran into somebody this last week getting takeout. Um, Amazing, I've learned when you change up your rhythms and routines, you run into new people, right? And so uh, we got takeout at a place that I normally wouldn't get takeout at. And I ran into somebody, and they had just gone through a tragedy. And my relationship with them has been strained. I used to work with them about a decade ago. And, and, And when I saw this person, it's like any bit of animosity disappeared. And all I could do is give them a hug and, and, and say, I'm praying for you. And one of the ways we know that Christ is forming in us is when we can look, uh, whether it's friend or foe in the, in, the, in the church family, and say, my heart hurts for you. I break for you. And I mourn with you. And we should be able to do that here. Now, fortunately, we don't just mourn with each other. What else do we get to do? We get to celebrate with each other. And so uh, my younger sister and I, and we both kind of had similar marital paths. So we both went through our 30s single. And I got to watch my sister uh, live an unbelievably uh, godly, incredible life through her 20s. Um, it really as an example to any young woman on how to be single in their 20s. And um, then she met a guy, and um, I have said this before, I think I prayed more for my sister's future husband than I prayed for my own future wife. And, um, and there's a crazy story even about her husband um, that I'll tell you guys someday. And uh, they got married, and when they did, I was in the, in the party, and there were tears again. But these weren't tears of mourning, they were tears of celebration, uh, as I watched her walk down, and there weren't tears of jealousy or anything. I'm like, I don't want to marry Colby. Look at him, right? And um, they were just, they were, they were tears of joy as I got to celebrate. Uh, and people asked me, how was the wedding? I was like, it was the most weepy wedding I've ever been to. Like, everyone was just crying. Um, happy tears. We celebrate with each other. And not out of um, jealousy, right, when, when good things happen for each other, not out of, oh, I wish it were me that was getting that promotion, 
I wish it was me that got the new house. I wish it was me that uh, was able to get pregnant. I wish whatever it might be, right? And, and we can truly celebrate one with another. We can put down the jealousy. So that again, what environment does this create? Because on the first one, we have sympathy uh, and empathy now being formed. Now on the other one, uh, we have a, uh, an environment of encouragement, of celebration, of awesome. I'm so like sincerely happy for you. And it strips away competition and jealousy. Do you see the family that God was trying to form through his church? Already, imagine existing within a community of people where sympathy, empathy, encouragement, and celebration are what we define as love. And the opposite of those we run from. This next one, I saw more in my wife than I saw in myself. Uh, Her older brother went through kind of a little bit of a stagnant season in life, just very common, early 20s, trying to figure out what's next. And he decided to apply to a bridge program where then he would be able to apply into med school. And as he got to the point of applying into med school, uh, it was amazing for me to see in Lindsay her desire to see him get into school. It was honestly stronger than most, uh, than any desire I think I've ever seen in her to accomplish something for herself. The next line in this, after love one another with brotherly affection, is outdo one another in showing honor. Now, that line there, outdoing one another in showing honor, um, I don't think we fully understand it in its current context. Like, when I hear that line, I think of that one episode of The Office where Dwight and Andy are trying to one-up each other in politeness, okay, and they just keep going back and forth. That's not really what it means. What it means is to prefer one another over ourselves, what that means is I would rather see you succeed than me. I will lay down my life to see your success happen. I will give of what I have for you. To prefer one another is to love one another so deeply that, that your goals and your dreams, you, what God is doing in your life is more important than what he's doing in mine. I mean, for those of us who are parents, right, you know this, you see this in your own life. But then this, this is what we're to be here. And so when Lindsay's brother got into med school, uh, it was like, I think Lindsay was happier as a result of that than, you know, had she gotten some big graphics contract or something like that. And so what does that mean for us? Uh, It means that we desire good for each other. And that we step in to assist where we can, whether that's through prayer or it's, oh, I have a contact or whatever I might be able to do to help you get to where you're going. You before me. Your success is more important to me than than even my own. And then the opposite of this, I guess, would be to know each other's concerns or worries. And so this last week, I sent out an email to our whole emailing list. If you're not on it, just fill out a card, drop it in the box, I'll add you to it. And in the list, um, I said, hey, how can we pray for you? We got over two dozen responses, which I was really happy about. And I want you to know every single one of those um, requests that came in, a small group of people, right, because you don't turn prayer into gossip hour, a small group of people sat down by name with each one of those, myself included, a couple people, and we prayed through every one of those. Why? Because getting connected then allows us to know each other's worries concerns, prayer requests, and say, how can we stand with you? How can we help carry this weight with you? How can we pray for you? 
I kid you not, we saw an answer to one of those prayers already this morning. Three days later, God's already moving in that person's life. And think about this. That prayer, who knows if it had been answered had it never been prayed? Who knows had it been prayed had the email never been sent out? I'm not giving myself any credit. That email idea was completely from God. What I'm saying is, unless we get connected, we don't create environment for God to move. But the more we get connected, the more we create environment for God to do what he wants to do. So to love one another with brotherly affection, we mourn with each other, we celebrate with each other, we desire and prefer one another, we pray and hold each other up. And it's a powerful type of love. Proverbs said that this type of love is a love that sticks closer than even a brother. A love that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you've been hurt by a a sibling or a family member in the past. So that verse means something to you because you're like, ah, yeah, when my family abandoned. Who is the love that sticks closer than a brother? Christ. That uh, Christ, and this is the beauty of the gospel, knows everything about you knows every dark part of who you are, the stuff you would never want posted anywhere. And he loves you. He knows it, and he loves you. He knows you like a sibling. He knows you deeper than a sibling, and he loves you. And he will not run. Now, what is this type of love? What is it supposed to do for us? Well, I want to give you um, not just... The first four there were kind of how it plays out, but, but I want to talk about the nature of this love that sticks closer than a brother. Because the nature of this love that sticks closer than a brother um, is supposed to kind of create like an environment of love. An environment of love, by the way, that I believe is not supposed to just exist in the church family. It's supposed to exist in the marriage. It's supposed to exist in our friendships. And it's, uh, it's supposed to exist in our households in Christ. And so as we talk through this, um, yes, think about our church family, but I also want you to think about your marriage, and I want you to think about your friendships, and I want you to think about your friend groups, because real love, the type of love that we're seeing in here, this love that sticks closer than a brother, this familial friendship type love that exists in the church um, should have these characteristics. The first is that this type of love, as Zephaniah writes, is supposed to cast out fear. This type of love is supposed to remove fear. In a parental relationship, it might look like this. If your children are afraid of you, afraid of how you're going to respond, I'm not talking about a healthy level of respect. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking afraid. You haven't yet learned to love like Christ. If your spouse lives in fear, of how you are going to respond. You haven't yet learned to love like Christ. This type of love is supposed to cast fear out. Like when you're younger and you get in trouble and you have to go to the principal's office, the whole nature of it is supposed to bring up fear in the heart of the child, right? And I don't want to get into parenting philosophy this morning and all of that and, you know, Maybe that helps in, in elementary school. Maybe not, I don't know. You guys can debate that later. Our love that we have with God is not supposed to be rooted in fear. And how many of us have a, have a fear complex when it comes to God? 
I watched Reagan the other day um, out playing. She's my 18-month-old daughter, 18-month-ish. And uh, she was out playing, and I was just sitting on the couch, and I watched her do like four things that we've told her over and over, don't do that, right? Don't do that, don't do that. Don't lick the end of the electric blanket and try to stick it into the outlet, right? Um, If she were doing that one in the moment, I would stop, just to clarify as we move on with the story, okay? Um, But she was doing some other things, you know, pouring out her milk and all sorts of stuff. And I just sat there and watched her. And as I walk through this metaphor, in no way do I want to diminish sin. I would never want to do that. But as I watched my daughter completely disobey everything Lindsay and I have told her to do, I sat on the couch and I was actually smiling. And I was smiling because I knew a few things. I know that because I love her, I'm going to stick with her and eventually she's going to stop doing those things. And I know that what she's doing right then and there is not going to define her a year, five years, or 10 years down the road. And my daughter is not going to be known as the kid who spilled her milk on the floor. It's not going to define her. It's not going to rule her life. And in the same way, we get a fear complex about God thinking he's sitting on the couch and he's about to hop down and hit us on the hand and our spilled milk is going to define us. It doesn't. He took care of it already. And God doesn't, I'm not saying God smiles when we sin, but I know that God looks down and says, yeah, already took care of that one. I know he looks down and says, yeah, that's not going to define you either. Because if I love you so much, I'm going to stick with you, and it's going to change you so that someday you're not going to be running around spilling milk anymore. And friends, that love that God has for us is the exact love that we're supposed to have one for another. And it should be a love where there's no fear anymore, not fear of failure. You know how this plays out? We sin, and so what do we do? We stop engaging. Stop showing up. Why? We're afraid. We're afraid. This love should cast out fear. You know what else this love should do? It should produce freedom. It should produce freedom. Again, going back to the parental relationship, if the way we love our children um, creates a a restricting uh, environment where they're afraid to be alive, We haven't yet learned to love like Christ. Again, this is not a lack of discipline or not parenting. But God models this to us. He gives us unbelievable freedom, it says. Now, it's not a license to sin, but it's a freedom in Christ. And whether it's in our marriages, our parenting, or here in our church, the way we love each other should produce a freedom on who we are to be and to live, not to sin, no, but to live. This type of love produces freedom. The last thing this type of love is supposed to produce is authenticity or vulnerability. And that comes out of freedom and no fear. But this type of love is the type of love we're supposed to have with God, that he knows everything that I am, and yet he still loves me. This type of love then within the body and the context of the church should be able to produce authenticity and vulnerability. 
Now, again, this is going to happen at different levels. It doesn't mean you have to walk down here and tell your deepest, darkest sin in front of everybody in the church. But it probably does mean that there should be a certain circle in your life that you can confess sin to so that they can pray for you, so that you might be healed. That's what James says. What that healing means is really so that you might be set free from the chains of that sin and you might be able to walk into freedom. It should produce an authenticity. It should produce an ability to be deeply honest with each other. You ever have a situation in life uh, maybe it's a work thing, or it could be your marriage, it could be uh, even in church sometimes, where, where uh, you wouldn't say things are bad. You wouldn't, like, you wouldn't say it's bad. It just seems like there's a little cloud kind of hanging over it. And it's not raining yet, but you're not fully seeing the sun. And it just seems like there's kind of just like a, like a cloud that's just kind of hanging over the marriage. There's a cloud that's just kind of hanging over the, your engagement at church. There's a cloud that's hanging over this friendship group. Typically what that uh, is revealing is that there's something underneath that the, um, this type of love is not yet fully present in because it hasn't led to full authenticity yet. And so there's something sticking in there that needs to be revealed. You know that scripture passage that says the truth that will set you free? What that verse is not saying is if you fully understand biblical truth, then you'll be free. It is saying that, but that's not all it's saying. What it is saying is that when you allow yourself to live truthfully, you are set free. Truthfully within the bounds of who Christ is. Said another way, the thing that's, the cloud that's hanging over you it's probably because there's a, there's a lack of a deep, deep truth that needs to be unearthed or discussed. Let me give you an example of this personal one. Um, New Year's Eve, which was the night of the Ohio State Rose Bowl game. Um, important to the story, not just a random fact. Okay, uh, Lindsay and I had dropped Reagan off at uh, my dad's house, and we would go back, and I'm going to watch the, the Rose Bowl. And uh, as soon as we sat down on the couch, Lindsay said, hey, can we talk? Like, mm, mm. of course, dear. And uh, we turned, we, we muted the, the, the game. And I kid you not, the entire game up to about four minutes left, we talked. It was the single longest conversation we've ever had. And um, in that conversation, Lindsay, bravely, um, shared some things uh, uh, that she had not yet shared with me about our relationship. I shared some things with her that I had not yet shared about our relationship. And the authenticity and the truth there um, set us free in a way that we had not yet been. Our marriage is better right now than it has ever been, and I will directly point it to that conversation. So let's bring that home. There's clouds, I'm sure, that are existing in marriages, in um, kid-parent relationships, right? In the context of our church. But if we learn to love each other in a way where there is freedom, if we learn to love each other that is not rooted in fear, and if we learn to love each other in authentic and real ways, then I think those clouds can be lifted. And marriages and parental relationships and uh, parent-child and friendships and the church 
is better as a result. But what is not unearthed will remain stagnant. And what remains stagnant will stall. And what stalls eventually breaks down completely. This is often the path. So take care of it. Take care of it. Imagine being one conversation away from that one real conversation away, real conversation from that cloud being lifted. Woo! Oh, that feels good. That feels good. This is, I think, what Paul meant with love one another with brotherly affection and undo one another in showing honor, that we would learn to love each other like this. Okay, so what does this look like practically? End of sermon. (laughs) What I'm about to lay out are strategies. They're not biblical commands. They're just strategies. They're our best attempt in 2019 because we don't live in ancient uh, Middle East where we go over to each other's houses every night and eat together, okay? So what I'm going to give you are strategies on how we see this connection happen. And I'm going to be as practical as I can be because I believe that this type of, hold on, we're jumping back into the sermon real quick, because I believe that this type of love is absolutely essential for each and every one of us. And that person that I know that I failed about a decade ago, I don't want to do that again. And I want to be someone different because I know what this type of brotherly affection feels like. How powerful is this type of love? Let me speak from personal experience. It's the type of love that I know that I received from our elders, Frank and Tom and my dad. And this type of love is the kind of love that can look at a um, embarrassed, fallen, kind of down and out pastor and say, get back up. It's the type of love that when things get difficult says, I don't care what comes your way, I'm standing with you. And it's the exact type of love that Jesus had in mind when he planted his church. And so it's the exact type of love that each and every one of us need. And as I talk about the strategies that we're going to lay out here, as I get into them, you're going to show up to the first one of your little gatherings or meetings or events, and you're not going to feel love one another with brotherly affection. What you're going to feel instead is a little bit of awkward conversation over some decaf coffee and some chips. But if you let it stop there, you will never get to loving one another with brotherly affection. And so work through the months of awkward conversation over decaf coffee to get to it. Because it's what we need. Okay, end of sermon. Groups. Strategy one, groups. Life groups, men's groups, women's groups, student groups. Our life groups are people, uh, they span all of the spectrum of age. I'll be quite frank, um, we need a couple more groups actually formed probably to be able to serve everyone, uh, but that shouldn't stop you from trying to get into one because that way we'll see exactly what it is that we need formed. The life groups. Men's groups. Uh, Frank leads one on a Saturday morning. Wade leads one on a Saturday morning. Tom Hoy leads one on a Wednesday night. I lead one on a Friday morning. Uh, we try to cover weekend nights and morning or and evening and morning uh, to, to make one happen. Our women's groups might be the best thing we have going on in our church right now. Uh, I believe every woman in, should be in one. Uh, they meet once a month and then they use that as a way to get connected. 
Our student groups, we have fantastic student group leaders. My previously mentioned wife and her husband, Colby, uh, they lead our high school group. Uh, it's just getting started. And so you show up, you're probably not going to feel uh, everything we talked about, but we're just getting started. And so if you're in high school, I implore you, you should be part of it. Middle school meets on Sunday nights. Both of those meet on Sunday nights at 5.30. Jake, Beard Jake, he leads a middle school group. That's groups. Strategy two, let's eat some food, meals, uh, or coffee, which is basically like food in 2019. Uh, meals is an attempt, uh, uh, um, and whether this is organized or unorganized, of just trying to get people together to eat together, all right? and just get together and get to know each other. And so maybe you'll be invited to one of those. I'd hope you'd say yes. You don't need me to lead that. Coffee, I always say this first. I'll go to coffee with anybody in our church if you need it. Just let me know. I got nothing better to do than that. Events, strategy three, events. Um, Our next event, let me just talk about that one. RCC Sunday night. That is um, two Sundays from today, and uh, we're going to worship together. We're going to take communion together. We're going to practice everything we've talked about in this series on that night to be the church family. For some of you, Sunday morning is your gig. You're like, I like the preaching. It's decent. Music's great. I'm going to keep coming back. And it might be the biggest spiritual step that you have taken in years just to show up to something else to get connected in a new way. Strategy four, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. In service. We sit around and we did that communion. I guarantee there's at least a percentage of the crowd out there when we took communion, uh, they were like, I am never coming back. Okay. Um, If that was you, um, depending on why, I'm sorry, okay? Um, Or depending on why, I'm not sorry, Okay. And what I mean by that is, man, we get 60 minutes, and you hear a lot. I talk a lot. I try to talk as fast as I can so I get as much time in, right? You sing. Those are important things. So is getting connected. So is getting connected. So that's why we did that. Lobby time out there or post-church. Here's what I love. I know y'all are free on Sunday mornings. I see you right? You're probably free afterwards. And we're going to scatter to different restaurants or different houses or back to our crock pots or whatever it is that we do, right? Well, there's probably no better time for us to get connected than Sunday mornings or Sunday after church. Invite somebody with you. Invite somebody over. Let's work on this. Why? Because we're all going to get to a point where we need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We're all going to get to a point when we need somebody who's going to love us with brotherly affection. We're all going to get to a point where it's going to feel like we've been abandoned, isolated, or alone. And it's in those moments when the church gets to be the church that Jesus came to plant. We can't get there unless we take steps to get connected. Let's pray. Thanks for watching this video. We hope you'll join us for one of our services on Sunday at 9 or 10.30 a.m. in the Levis Commons Movie Theater. Now with the new year come new things. So, if you want to find out more about our church, visit us at our new web address, experienceredemption.com. Have a great week.